This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. To spread grace, speak truth, restart, this is the kingdom. You're listening to the End Campaign's Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a biblical worldview. We're not trying to be progressive or conservative. We're trying to be faithful Christians in the public square. This is the kingdom. The kingdom. But you know good and camp. You're listening to the and campaigns church politics podcast with Justin Gibney. That's me and the Windy City representative, the baddest brother above the Mason Dixon line, my play cousin, the right reverend, Christopher Butler. Chris, one of the things I try to do on this show, since we are giving advice and since we're trying to put a framework out there that we believe to be gospel centered, is I never want to come off as if we have it all together. As if our public witness is perfect or people would think that we're perfect with our families in every aspect of life. That's never true. So I like to um, make confessions. I like to be honest about things going on with me and, and, and things that I've had to do and where th- times that I didn't get things right. And I don't know if you ever have to do this, but sometimes you even have to. I've had to and I had to recently apologize to your children. Right. As a father, sometimes you want to come off as if. You're not that you're perfect, but you want them you want to have the credibility to tell them what to do and for them to believe you. But sometimes that goes up against the fact that you've sinned against your children. And as many of you know, I'm a football coach. Uh, I have two sons that are, are really good at football. But this weekend in one of our scrimmage games, I was really, really hard on my older son. Uh, he made some mistakes and I just was not showing him the grace that I needed to. I don't think I was Christian like towards him. And so I had to I had to apologize. I had to uh, put my pride aside, realize that this wasn't about him, that it was about me and had to apologize. So I just want to make that confession. I want to make that public apology and let y'all know out there when you get some of this stuff wrong, you are not alone. Me and I won't speak for Chris, but I guess Chris too uh, go through this as well. Any thoughts just on that general idea of apologizing to your children? Oh, man. You know, uh, I would like to say that I have never had to do that, Um, but that's really not the case uh, for me because, one, I have a lot of children, and so many opportunities to create those uh, uh, situations. Um, But, yeah, you know, they come up. I I think it's so important. Um, You know, we did a lot of reading when we had our first uh, child, our daughter, and it seemed like in the – and a lot of the books on sort of like uh, raising children in a Christian way, that was a big emphasis. Um, I find the same thing was important uh, in, in, uh, in leading a church too, um, mm. you know, cause that's another situation where uh, you want to maintain a certain level of credibility. Um, and, you know, but, and, and it, it would be oh so easy to just act like you're perfect. Mm-hmm. Um but ultimately, that's not good for you. And it's really not good for uh, the, the people who you think you're helping by behaving that way, because uh, I think folks gain more from knowing that their parent, their pastor, 
their organizational leader, whatever it is, um, is is human and imperfect too, so that they can also then uh, strive to a level of excellence that I think we do try to display uh, and do display um, without being burdened by that need to be 100% perfect. Man, that's that's so real. Uh, and, and that's just my confession for today. You know, um, I'm very good with other folks' kids. I don't really go there. But with mine, especially last week, I did and I should not have. It was not Christianly and hopefully it won't happen again. So y'all pray for me. I'll be praying for you. Greatly appreciate Chris's uh, commentary. And I would imagine I'm not a pastor, but I do see how that could happen. Uh, I do see how, you know, in in trying to edify and, and all that, you can be so stuck on seeming like you're perfect and maintain that credibility that you don't apologize when you need to. So let's all try to avoid that uh, and then just get into this conversation. As always, uh, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Fetzer Institute, for supporting us in what we do and how we do it. Uh, I want to tell anybody who's in the city of Atlanta or near the city of Atlanta that if you have not seen the unspoken documentary by Don Carey and Jude 3 Project Lisa Fields, you need to see that. If you have anybody in your family that has bought into the idea that uh, Christianity is the white man's religion or any other group of people's religion. You need to see the unspoken documentary, which talks about the Christian, the, the roots of Christianity that are in Africa. Right. So Friday night, seven o'clock at New Life Church. Come hang out with us and watch this outstanding documentary this Friday. Check out this that documentary. If you can't make it, you can find the document documentary on Amazon. So either way, watch the documentary. If you're in the Atlanta area or near the Atlanta area, watch that with us. All right. Now, as usual, we have some really good topics coming up. So grab your Bible, get your mind right and prepare to think not like a Republican, not like a Democrat, but to think like a Christian. Let's get into it. Colossians chapter two, verses six through eight says this. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Question. Is your perspective, is your public witness actually Christ centered? Or is it captured by ideas and social constructs made by human hands? You see, Christians should always be asking God to search our hearts, to reveal to us that which is impure and unbiblical. Christians should always be humble enough to admit that we have blind spots and that we're prone to following teachings that sound good or that are convenient, but aren't actually rooted in Christ, that aren't grounded in Scripture. We should always be running our opinions and our beliefs through biblical scrutiny. We have to be prayerful and vigilant to make sure that our ideas are rooted in God and not rooted in hollow and deceptive philosophies, not rooted in our own understanding. 
You see, once we become haughty and strident about our ideas, that's when we get into trouble because we will be blinded by our pride and we'll end up hurting ourselves and also end up hurting others. You see, folks, I want to touch on a subject that's, Chris, it's not new to the AND campaign. We've talked about this many times before, but it's the subject that I think needs to be revisited. And I want to touch on some of the biblical teachings that need to constantly be repeated. And maybe y'all don't need to hear this today. Maybe this message is from me. But for me and anybody else who needs to hear it, let's let's dig into it a little bit. And I think it's important because, unfortunately, Chris, too many of us have allowed our faith to be used to rationalize, or maybe a better way to put it is to justify our ideology, which is what many of us are really following in the public square. Even non-religious people know that religious that religion is powerful. And throughout history, crafty leaders have found ways to make religion serve their objectives and their ends. That's right. Clever and savvy leaders have found ways to manipulate religious devotion and religious fervor to co-opt it and use it to serve themselves rather than serve God. Constantine tried it with Christianity and obviously throughout honestly throughout history there's been several successful t- attempts of the, with this when it comes to Christianity. And I think Chris that this is still happening today in our ideological tribes. Our ideological tribes know how powerful Christianity is. And so what I've seen often happen is they take one aspect of Christianity whether it be compassion or order and accountability, and they emphasize that one component at the expense of other Christian principles. For instance, uh, many conservatives take the accountability that Christianity calls for, mute the love, mute the grace, and use it as a reason not to be self-sacrificial towards the poor, or use it as a reason not to be self-sacrificial towards immigrants. They use it as a reason not to pursue racial justice. They use the gospel and evangelizing as a reason not to do justice. And I think that's shameful. Now, Chris, on the other hand, some progressives make the faith all about a concept of compassion that's defined by leftward secular philosophers. And once the religion is all about this ill-defined version of compassion, the church's sexual ethic and the sanctity of life must be rejected. And to be honest with you, Chris, nowadays, the general revelation of biology and physiology must also be rejected. In fact, some folks on that side don't any longer see the Bible as authoritative simply because it doesn't align with their ideology. And what are we guided by when the Bible is no longer the authority. Simple. We're guided by our untrustworthy hearts, or we're guided by the untrustworthy, unjust, and unrighteous desires of the world. And at that point, we're no longer serving a holy and just God. We're either serving ourselves or serving the custodians of our ideology, the custodians of our culture. Yes, many of us have been captured by conservatism or progressivism. Many of us, well, I should say for many of us, 
Christianity is merely a brand of progressivism or a brand of conservatism. We're really progressive at heart, but we just happen to be Christians too. We listen to the prophets of the Bible. We obey Jesus only when it doesn't conflict with our ideological tribe's commandments. And this is why, in my opinion, this is why some evangelicals use the faith to suggest that Christians had to vote for Trump, that they had to, because it served conservative, cultural, economic, and political ends to pretend like character, discipline, and preparedness no longer mattered. Therefore, you must not only vote for Trump, you must defend and protect him at all costs. And if you don't defend him and protect him at all costs, then Christendom would die and it would be your fault. Now, there's another side to this phenomenon. I also think that the phenomenon of placing ideology before the Christian faith is behind Joe Biden and so many other Democrats doing a 180 on the issue of abortion and falling in line with the disciples of Margaret Sanger. Regrettably, and you, you've probably seen this, Chris, unfortunately, regrettably, we even see this happening in the pulpit where some preachers are providing partisan political commentary disguised as theology, disguised as the gospel of Jesus Christ, giving sermons that could have easily been MSNBC monologue. And I find that to be disgusting. But many of these folks want to be seen as progressive by cultural influencers. And so that influence, that ideological and cultural influence influence is impacting or controlling what's being said from the pulpit. And so many of my peers and you might have the same experience, Chris, so many of my peers have taken every left turn that progressives have prescribed or every right turn that conservatives have demanded. But somehow we convince ourselves that we're still being faithful in, in our public witness, that we're still being gospel centered. But here's my question to all of you. Which of your preferred ideologies, sacred calves, have you challenged and been self-sacrificial in trying to knock down? Where does your faith in your ideology conflict but your faith wins the day in your public witness. Those are questions that we all have to ask ourselves. What do you have to say on this faith uh, versus ideology uh, topic, Chris? Yeah, so I think that this is uh, one of the most important conversations for us to be having today in the church. Uh, I think I say it here all the time that um, not only is it important for the church, uh, I think that it's also important for the broader culture because it's something that needs to be affected in uh, the broader culture. This is idea of having some kind of like uh, moral oaring. And I still think that the church has the best opportunity uh, to achieve that and to demonstrate for others how to do it. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that we're there, but we've got a great opportunity. Um, and so it's, it's so important for us to talk about this, you know, and, and I, I think the whole thing, you know, we talk about um, the sort of uh, opposition focused politics and civics. And I think that's where a lot of this grows out of, um, you know, I, I think when you look at the, at the Bible, there is a very uh, conservative ethic in the scripture. Uh, in the scripture, we find uh, 
a God who does not change. And uh, there is truth that's set down in the scripture uh, that is rooted in the personality of that unchanging God. And so that truth governs uh, and it does not compromise no matter where the culture goes. Uh, and then there's also a very progressive sort of energy in the scripture, right? There's uh, a lot of um, emphasis on uh, this ability of the truth of God uh, and the gospel of God to push uh, the powerful out of their comfort zone and to challenge uh, the sort of sinful tendencies of our social order uh, that takes the the beauty of of um, of diversity uh, um, and and use it to sort of uh, oppress and devalue other people because they're different from uh, sort of whoever and whatever is dominant in a particular cultural moment. Uh, and so you can you can make great conservative arguments from the scripture, and you can make great progressive arguments in the scripture. Uh, and I think too often uh, we know that, but too many of us are busy trying to prove that our Christianity does not belong to the racist and our Christianity doesn't belong to the misogynist. It doesn't belong to the conservatives or it doesn't belong to the uh, uh, progressives. And so we're trying to prove that our Christianity doesn't belong to the other side. Uh, and in so doing, uh, we, like you said, we follow our ideological tribe a little too closely uh, because we're trying to prove something about our um our Christianity, you know, our version of it, and 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 almost defend it in a certain way uh, in the public square. Uh, and I think I uh, we we miss it because we're trying to prove uh, that our Christianity doesn't belong on the wrong side, uh, and and we focus on that. And so, in focusing on uh, the people who we think hate us, the people who we think oppose us, uh, we forget the one who actually loves us and upholds us, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who we need to center. Uh, we need to center the scriptures. So then it's not about, uh, it's not, it's not about proving that my progressivism fits in Christianity or proving that my Christianity doesn't belong to uh, conservatives or flipping that script. It's all about making sure that I just stay faithful uh, to what I find in the text, faithful uh, to the impulses of the gospel, faithful uh, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I think that's the only way you can even come close to really just having a faithful public witness. Because if, if we focus on how bad other people are handling uh, the text and how bad other people are handling the gospel and handling their Christian witness, we're going to end up being just as messed up as they are just on the other end uh, of that polar, uh, that polarized environment. Uh, and I think that happens so often. And once you start it down that way, you know, you don't know where you're going to end up. You might end up standing in your pulpit preaching to your folks about why abortion is so good and necessary. Man, that's a word. What, what I'm hearing is, it's not enough to identify where conservatives get Christianity wrong. It's not enough for you to identify where progressives get Christianity wrong. If that's what you do and you just base your witness on being the opposite of them, that doesn't guarantee that you're bet doing better or being more faithful than them. The best kind of Christianity is not the type of Christianity that's the opposite of conservatism or the opposite of progressivism. Because when you're trying to be the opposite of something, you've centered that thing instead of centering Christ. Don't get too comfortable. And this is what I try to tell folks. Don't get too comfortable 
with any ideology. We shouldn't even get too comfortable just with our theology. We should be running our theology past biblical scrutiny, let alone our ideology, because the Bible is neither a progressive or conservative manifesto. Jesus was not some progressive just spitting progressive tenets or some conservative just spitting conservative tenets. If you really look at how Jesus loved, Jesus loved in a way that's different than what a lot of progressives would tell you to love. Jesus didn't coddle people. His love, as I've said before, was extraordinary. The way that he actually sacrificed for people, the way that he brought people who were on uh, the outside, the way that he brought them in, people that were on the margins, the way that he embraced them. But anytime, even when he embraced somebody, he let them know the reality. He did not allow them to run away from their sin. And I think because of that, if Jesus was here today, there's a lot of progressives that would say he wasn't compassionate enough when his compassion was actually better than a progressive type of compassion. Jesus did point out sin. Jesus did talk about the authority of the word of God. But there are a lot of conservatives who would who would have a problem with Jesus, I believe right now, because even though he understood the authority of the word of God, there was so much grace in that. That it didn't necessarily turn out the way that a lot of conservatives might think his his judgments would turn out. And so we have to rise above that, because I believe that the gospel challenges and transcends conservatism and progressivism. When you get too comfortable with one or the other. You run into trouble. And, and please understand, as I said before, the so-called custodians of our ideologies, these people are not dumb. They know how they know they know how to manipulate you and give you reasons just to go along with what they say. And if you have that much trust, if you have that much faith in the ideology and in the ideological tribe that you're just going to go along with it, even when it doesn't make sense. I've been in Proverbs, Chris, and I can't even get really past. I just keep going. I can't even really get past Proverbs 20 because there's just so much leading up to that that I have to go back and look at. And one of the things that I see in Proverbs is talking about having good sense. Have good sense. Don't be simple. Have good sense. You know, look, look for knowledge and look for wisdom that is centered and grounded and rooted in God. And so many of the opinions that we form, whether you're uh, a progressive intellectual or you're somebody who's more of a working class on the on the right side of it. So many of the ideas and conspiracies and all that stuff that we buy into just show that we're not having good sense because we've bought into something that is not the gospel, that is not the word of God, that does not come from his wisdom, that does not come from his knowledge. And when we start leaning on our own understanding or leaning on our own sense of compassion, we run into trouble. Thoughts, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think uh, as you were speaking, I, I thought about an experience that I had very recently. Uh, I went to uh, a, a pro-life event, um, you know, to, to speak about the, uh, the sanctity of human life in the womb. Uh, and as I'm walking toward the front, uh, I see uh, a, a young lady in a T-shirt. And the T-shirt says "Rhino Hunter." And for those who are listening who don't know what a rhino is, Republican in name only, uh, it said "Rhino Hunter," and it had like a uh, like the visual of a scope, like you're looking through the scope of a rifle. Uh, and so we're at a pro-life event, 
and this person is wearing a t-shirt literally about murder. Um, and in that moment, like for a moment there, I didn't want to speak at the event. I didn't want to, um, I, I wanted to go away and, and not ever say anything else about pro-life ever again. Um, because I did not want my Christian witness, my public testimony to be attached to and associated with that t-shirt, um, that person. Um, but I took the much, much, much more difficult route of actually talking to this young lady, um, about the t-shirt and the, uh, the, the, the profound inconsistency with been at a pro-life event wearing a t-shirt that is literally about murder. Um, and you know, that particular conversation ended up going well. I've had some on that same order that don't go well at all. Uh, that particular conversation went well. I, I did my, my talk and I continued to, to do my thing here in the state of Illinois uh, when it comes to life. But these, these are like the real things that you run into over and over again you, yes, will find yourself sometimes saying things that sound very similar to people that you don't want to be associated with. And the thing is, if you back off of the truth that you know, the truth that you find in the scripture, uh, because somebody else who does not have the kind of public testimony that you would support, just because they're saying it doesn't make it wrong. Right. Um, and sometimes we want to back off of it because somebody who is wrong is saying it. You just got to remember, one, there are lots and lots of things that you are probably going to say in your public witness that that person is not going to say. Mm -hmm. um, so there, you have plenty of places of disagreement. Uh, and number two, uh, I, I keep saying, you know, I find myself repeating this. I heard it, I think, first from my grandmother, even a broke clock is right twice a day. Mm -hmm. um, and so just because somebody who is, you know, not the kind of person you hold up as an example is saying the same thing that you are saying, uh, doesn't make what you're saying wrong. Um, there may be some challenging conversations that you have to have, some soul searching that you just have to do within yourself. Uh, but I just urge us not to back off of that truth just because somebody who's not, you know, where they necessarily need to be or where we would mm -hmm. want them to be. Is, is saying that same thing in that same moment. That's so real, because so much of what you hear people saying is, oh, that's a conservative talking point or a progressive talking point, as if just because it came from a certain group, it has to be wrong. Christians can't think that way. Somebody can be wrong on 99 things, dead wrong on 99 things. If they're right on one thing and you oppose that truth, then you're in the wrong. And that's the type of nuance that the end campaign tries to work with. That's the type of nuance that we all have to keep in mind. And something else that connects to what you were saying, Chris is, and this is something I got to keep telling myself. And it appears in Colossians two, too. It says Colossians two talks about overflowing with thankfulness. And I got to, I always got to reiterate that to myself. Cause you know, being on the front lines, we can become jaded too. Right. <laughs> so overflowing with thankfulness, one way to tell that your public witness isn't centered in Christ if it's if, if it's bitter, belligerent or contemptuous. I don't care how right you think you are. Your public witness is not centered in Christ. If it's not overflowing with thankfulness, if it's overflowing with bitterness, overflowing with belligerence, overflowing with contempt. 
Something to keep in mind. We will be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. You are here with Chris Butler, the right Reverend Chris Butler, I should say, and Justin Gibney, the president of the Ann Campaign. Chris, I think it's fair to say, whether you like him or not, that last week was the best week for President Biden thus far in his administration. It's no secret that his administration has suffered, has had a tough time. They have struggled. Uh, some of this was based on circumstances. You had COVID. That was tough. You had a 50-50 Senate. Of course, he's not going to get through everything he wants to get through. And some of this was really self-inflicted. So we can agree and disagree on what fits into those two categories. Um, but he had a pretty good week. Now, Biden's favorability is still in the dumps, but he's gotten some major parts of his agenda through the Senate, uh, which generally has given him a pretty hard time. Now, the White, Fa- now, the White House is going as far as saying that this recent uh, string of victories is stronger than the two year legislative record of any modern president. Those are big words. Now, let's look at what's happened within this last week or so. First, the July jobs report that just came out was solid. The U.S. economy added 528,000 jobs last month, and the unemployment rate is down to 3.5 percent. That's good. America also killed uh, a man, Al-Zawari, and I'm, I'm sure I murdered that name, but he's a big time Al-Qaeda leader. And so that was a, a, a big win for us in the battle in the fight against terrorism. But perhaps the biggest accomplishment was the Senate voting to pass the Inflation Reduction Act with a tie-breaking vote from from Vice President Kamala Harris. Now, the administration struggled for months and months with leaders in its own party to get this passed, namely Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin. But they finally came on board. Now, (laughs) to be honest, and we talked about this last week, despite the name, the bill isn't really about decreasing inflation like it really doesn't it's not expected to decrease inflation uh, to any significant any significant amount but it is still a very significant piece of legislation that is that's expected to pass through the house of representatives on friday now this is the biggest climate change investment in u.s history there is 360 billion dollars going to energy and climate programs that's right 360 billion with a B dollars going to energy and climate programs. This includes cash incentives for electric vehicle drivers and tax breaks to speed up the transition to renewable energy sources. The bill is also aimed at reducing health care costs for many Americans by allowing Medicare to directly negotiate the price of medicine with drug makers and ensuring people pay a maximum of $2,000 on prescription on prescriptions annually. That's a big deal. So people on Medicare, uh, Medicare will actually uh, directly negotiate the prices of the of drugs with, with drug ma- makers and ensure people pay a maximum of $2,000 a year on prescriptions. Now, one of the things that fell out, and I thought it was, I was really upset that this fell out, the parliamentarian shot it down. This was going to be the case almost for for everybody. So that uh, prescription, they couldn't charge too much for prescription drugs, right? It was going to be something where, where that was going to be capped. They couldn't go above inflation. 
Uh, that gets kicked out by the parliamentarian. So the, the Democrats bring it to a vote and the Republicans shot it down. Uh, I, I think it's very unfortunate that the Republicans would shoot something down like that. If you look at things like insulin, how much Americans pay for insulin compared to folks in other countries, it's a serious problem. I personally have a cousin who passed away younger than I am because he could not afford his insulin. And so for that to be voted down, I think is very unfortunate. Now, the cost of this bill, the costs of this bill are covered by a 15 percent maximum tax rate, minimum tax rate. I'm getting my minimums and maximum mixed uh, maximums mixed up. The cost of the bill, let me say this again, are covered by a 15 percent minimum tax rate applied to corporations with profits over a billion dollars or more. In addition to the Inflation Reduction Act, the PACT Act passed, and we talked about that last week, um, and also the CHIPS Act, which is aimed at boosting domestic production of semiconductors. Now, this was a big deal, and it has a lot to do with the supply chain and issues that we're going through right now. We didn't have enough semiconductors to really fulfill the needs of our country because they were being uh, produced in other places. So one thing, and this was a bi- this one was a par- bipartisan bill. One thing that uh, Congress was trying to do was bring production of the semi- semiconductors back to America. And I think that is a, a good move, an important move, and something we should all keep an eye on. Chris, what are your thoughts generally on Biden's big win, you know, Biden's big week? Well, you know, I'm uh, I am one who is not as high on uh, on the week as maybe others are, and and here's why is because uh, it's a significant uh, move of the goalpost uh, for this administration. Two things with that: number one is I just don't like when people in public service will be like as dishonest as this package ultimately is number one you're messaging it as a as the inflation reduction act and then literally privately telling people uh, and reporters that you don't really expect it to do anything about inflation it's just messaging uh there you know and, and I, I do think that a lot of the things that were originally proposed by this administration were things that i really support uh and so that's disappointing but probably the bigger thing that that I think is long term, I think we'll look back and see uh, this week as as a difficult week uh, in the longer story uh, of this administration and of this country uh, is that the, there is no way that the impact of even all of this legislation all rolled up together is going to be anywhere close uh, to the hype and the fanfare that you're hearing from the White House, that you're hearing from uh, many, many members of, of the press. Uh, this piece of legislation is something that, uh, again, like I think you got to applaud uh, the work um, and the parts of it that, that are really great. I mean, um, if, if you're like a climate person, like this is your legislation uh, because this, this is, I think it is a, a big deal on climate. Um, but when you start thinking about how this is really going to impact American families, I mean, yes, if you're headed out next year to buy a $60,000 
electric vehicle, you're going to get a $7,500 tax credit. Yes. Uh, if you're getting ready to invest, you know, $100,000 putting solar panels uh, on your home, you are going to get uh, some tax break for that. Uh, yes. Even if you are on Medicare, you are going to see some uh, some drop in many of your prescription coverages, not even all that uh, is, is covered there. But on the whole, I mean, we have a president here um, who is still, I think, on the on the long trend, doing nothing to repair uh, the trust of American people and American government. Uh, and I think that's got to be got to be the biggest project uh, for American leaders right now. And I think it's much, much better to just be on level with people. Uh, When you come in and you say you're going to be the most pro-union president uh, in history, that really means something to the guy who wakes up and is punching the clock at 3 a.m. at an Amazon warehouse. Uh, And and when you say that you're going to uh, do something serious on student debt, that really meant something to, uh, you know, the early career, uh, you know, professional who can't even see clear to how they're ever going to buy a house or do uh, any of those things. Um, you know, so this stuff is actually impacting people uh, in their lives. Uh, I think a lot of people did get motivated to go out and vote for Joe Biden and, and work for Democrats uh, because there was an idea that maybe uh, we could do some of these things. Uh, and even if you can't get those things done, I think it does so much more for the long-term trust level in this country uh, and with that the long-term health of our democracy just to be on level with people and say hey we still believe in these things we're still fighting for these things here's why they are not happening if you want to blame the republicans that's politics do that but don't don't just try to like do a sort of sleight of hand thing uh where you try to flip it and say well we're we're changing the world and then tomorrow because when you do that and tomorrow the world is still the same you just become like every other politician uh and we don't have that kind of ample trust in in our democratic systems uh and in our sort of civic life in america uh, to be you know wasting trust like that I, i think we agree on most of this um but let me ask you this would you say that Biden got done as much as he could get done, provided the circumstances. You know, 50-50 Splendid Cinema and Manchin were only going to go so far. Uh, no. Um, I think that that there are, um, one, legislatively, I still don't think that we've seen uh, a, a full-court press, like, from like the White House, like the, the fact that there was no fight is just like, you know, we think we should do some regulation on, you know, uh, pharmaceutical industry gouging Americans, but uh, the parliamentarians said no, and just no fight. They put I mean, it up to a vote, though. I mean, they, they, they said, look, let's put it up to a vote, and Republicans voted against it. Senators put it to a vote. The president of the United States and even the leadership in the Senate did like there was no like suggestion of overruling the pro- the parliamentarian, mm-hmm. um, like no speech from the president. You know, if if you ride around 
uh, Chicago right now. I don't know if they're doing this in Atlanta, but you're right around Chicago right now. There are landlords who are putting signs up on their buildings uh, that say there's a guy who lives on the first floor here who refuses to pay his rent. Um, you know, like that kind of stuff puts pressure on people. There, no nothing to say like, hey, the parliamentarian is getting ready to take thousands of dollars out of Americans' pockets you know, for a long, long time here. And so there are things that you could have done more legislatively. There's certainly things that you could have done with executive order could still do right now, like closing the carrot interest loophole is actually not something that necessarily needs to be legislatively enacted. It could be done uh, through the president. Um, and so I think there's more like just in terms of actual policy that they could enact. Um, and, and even if you've done all that you think you could do legislatively, I think the biggest thing, the most important thing, maybe even more important than any one policy on its face, uh, is to actually begin to breathe some life back into our politics uh, and to to just ignore people like people. Like I said, like folks who are working in like non-union warehouses and having their union uh, organizing crushed by uh, corporations, they are not going to forget that you said you were going to be the most union president yeah. in the history of America just because you passed a great climate bill. Um, parents who are struggling to, you know, put food on the table are not going to forget that they had that child tax credit for a minute um, just because, you know, you put a, uh, you know, more money into the IRS. Like yeah. it's, it's great stuff. I'm for it. I just think that there is uh, the, the real project, is being missed here, and so I'm, I'm not I'm not at all in on like the uh, the celebratory victory lap. Okay, uh, with, with this one. Okay, and here I think is, is what the next question we have to ask is: uh, We already talked about Biden's numbers being the, in the dumps. Um, it seems like Democrats are going to have a rough midterm. Um, maybe not so much in the Senate because it's <laughs> if I couldn't tell, it seems like Republicans are trying to make sure that they maintain the Senate, which it is, it is. Um, but does this give him some momentum? So here, here's the factors that I'm looking at to where does this give him some momentum? And one of them you just hit on. I tend to say no to a certain extent because if it doesn't change people's reality, then you can say whatever you want to say. You can have your, you know, your folks on CNN who, you know, take your talking points and run with them. But if folks don't feel it changing their circumstance, if I still, you know, uh, go to the grocery store and I got to put stuff back like there's there's reports that, you know, there's a lot of Americans, one in five Americans or something like that, goes to the grocery store, gets what they need and has to put stuff back. I'm one of that those Americans. Of walking back or le- it's real. That act of walking back or leaving that stuff that you needed at the grocery store, if that doesn't change, people don't care. Here's what Democrats, I think, can can jump on, though. It seems like Mitch McConnell, which is his thing, and I, you know, I, you guys know, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Mitch McConnell. I have some Republican senators that I have respect for that I even like. Mitch McConnell is not one of them. It's just they do nothing. There's at least we're trying to do something, and they're not working with us to do more. We're trying to do something. What have they come up with when it comes to health care? What have they come up with when it comes to all the rest of the issues that Chris is talking about? Now, you can point to Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney's come up with some with some good ideas that could be helpful. But in general, when you look at Mitch McConnell, who is the leader. He's satisfied with just saying, hey, as long as we can say 
that the Democrats didn't do this or that. We don't have to do anything. To me, again, that is legislative malpractice. Yeah. And that is the kind of politics that we don't need. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see if this helps Democrats or not. Or if people still are like, man, I still see this inflation. Yeah, I have a job, but it ain't paying me enough to get groceries. Then I don't care what y'all are saying. You still going to lose. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you're right. I think that the 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 biggest thing that the Democrats have going for them is the Republicans. Um, you know, the the inability to to try to come to do anything like that. Um, but you know, the uh, the the New York Times uh, article that we were looking at the, reporting on this, uh, they wrote this uh, in a paragraph. The Republicans hope to pull out particular elements uh, and use them as wedge issues against Democrats, characterizing the measure as a tax increase that will empower the IRS to go after middle-class Americans without fighting inflation. Democrats will retaliate, accusing Republicans of vowing, of voting against drug relief for seniors and on behalf of industry patrons. And my thing is both sides are going to be correct. Um, and that's why it won't really create that much momentum. If I'm this president, I'm out there saying, listen, we, we make these investments in climate. Um, we uh, have done these things uh, that are important, uh, but it is not enough. It's nowhere close to enough. And the reason we can't get to enough is because of the intransigent Republican Party. Um, that would be honest. That would be forthright. It would not push aside and, and overlook uh, the the realities that people are experiencing, and I think could really actually build some momentum uh, if if you did that. But I mean, elections are about coalitions, right? And I think this is the thing that Democrats miss uh, in in the modern era so often, right? Because if you think about it, if you just think about your coalition, you didn't get anybody with this legislation except for your you got your climate folks. Right. But you, you're not going to win any elections with just climate activists. Um, you, you got your climate folks uh, and you got your corporate donors. Right. Because, you know, Kristen Sinema went to the mat for them. Uh, it's like you, you got your, um, you know, your, your financial folks. But you didn't get like working families here. Like there, there's nothing in here uh, strengthening voting rights. There's uh, nothing. There's nothing here for anybody in your coalition. You just want all those members of your coalition to be happy that you got something done over there. And it's just really not how politics works. Mm, it's OK. No, I mean, I'm, I feel what you're saying. I do think I do think there's some substantive things that are going to help. Help, help people that they'll feel we talked about you know medicare and all that stuff it could it could have been more but but i'll end with this i think mitch mcconnell and the ghost of harry reed are still haunting american politics and it's going to be haunting american politics for quite a quite a while and that's why we can't get bigger things and better things done because those two play the game and play the game in a way that's really hurt this country and we need to talk about it maybe we'll maybe we'll take some time to go through the history of what those two have done to American politics. We'll be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the Ann Campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the Ann Campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction. 
the end campaign's guide to faithful civic engagement that we published with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility, this is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. Man, now this news is is interesting. Um, The FBI executed a search warrant Monday at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home in Palm Beach, Florida, as part of an investigation into the handling of presidential documents, including classified documents. We've, We've heard something about folks mishandling of classified documents for the last few years, right? They even went so far, though, as to break into his safe, according to the former president. Searching the home of a former president is certainly not something that happens every day, Chris. Now, the Justice Department has two known active investigations connected to the former president. One on the effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election in January 6th, and the other involving the handling of classified documents. The National Archives, uh, charged with collecting and sorting presidential material, has previously said at least 15 boxes of White House records were recovered from Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort, including, again, documents that were classified. In early June, a handful of investigators made a rare visit to the property seeking more information about potentially classified material from Trump's time in the White House that had been taken to Florida. This, I don't know exactly where this is going. Merrick Garland doesn't and others don't seem to be playing uh, with with Trump in this regard. I know a lot of progressives were begging for there to be a deeper investigation and begging for this kind of kind of stuff to happen. And if de- and, and, and indeed, if he took these documents that were classified in a way that he shouldn't have, there needs to be some consequences. What those will be, I, I don't know exactly, but. This I don't I can't say that it's unprecedented, but this is a, a, a really big deal. Chris, any, any thoughts on this? It is a really, really big deal. Um, as I was thinking about this, I'm, I'm like, we're um, going all the way back to like the, the early debates with like the founders when it comes to, uh, you know, how, how do you set up what is not an imperial sort of a, an executive uh, while preserving some. Uh, some some level of, of respect for the office. I, I just certainly hope that uh, that there's a lot there. Like when, when I first saw this come over uh, my notifications yesterday, I was like, they like have to go all the way through to at least prosecuting this like a former president of the United States uh, because you you don't want a situation where where the Department of Justice uh, casually raids the home of a former president of the United States simply because of like, you know, um, that, that person is politically unpopular, uh, with, with your base. So at this point, I'm just hoping 
you know, because like you said, if there, if there are serious crimes committed, I don't think you want a, a an executive that is above the law. Uh, and so there, if there are serious crimes committed, uh, they need to be investigated. They need to be prosecuted. I just hope that everybody involved uh, understands um, that, you know, each each time we do this, uh, it's really serious. And so, you know, I, I would anticipate that something really serious uh, is is on the horizon because I, I can't imagine uh, law enforcement like raiding the home of the um, immediate past president of the United States of America without a whole lot already uh, to go on. Yeah, I mean, and that seems to be, you know, with the leadership, they seem to be fairly cautious. Again, with these type of investigations on the outside, it's it's hard to tell how far, you know, how much they have. Right. It's it's, it's hard to tell exactly where they're going. So I, I don't want to speculate too much. And I, and I see uh, Chris was cautious about that, too. But you already know what kind of narratives are going to come from this. Right. The narrative from. The left is going to be, hey, it's over once again. You know, we're you know, we got to go get Trump. And now we're finally doing what we should have done. The message from the right, which we're already hearing a bunch of craziness from the Republican uh, uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who uh, progressives love to act as like the act like she's the only conservative uh, uh, Congresswoman in the House. But she's already talking crazy about what should be done about this. Like this is a huge injustice and all this. So I, I do hope they're being cautious. If there's something there, then they need to go for it. But this is something that you I mean, it's not something that you do casually. And I think, Chris, you're absolutely right uh, in that regard. Again, there's going to be certain narratives from both sides that are going to go into this. This could actually. And it's, it's sad to say that and I've been very clear about the fact that Trump running again is not something that I want to see, but this could actually help him. I mean, you act, you know, in his response to it. They went, they broke in my safe and all this stuff. He's actually playing it up, right? This doesn't necessarily, unless something legally happens, this doesn't necessarily hurt him right now. He can play it up. And in our opposition center politics, we like to vote for the biggest enemy of our enemy. We like the person that's saying they hate me the most. Therefore, you should vote for me. And if that's the case, then Trump continues to be the main one that the Republican base, the conservative base wants to see go against these mean, ugly progressives. Right. Uh, so it could end up being a lose, lose, lose at this point. Uh, but we'll have to see anything else on that, Chris. It's just another reminder that we have so much work to do at the uh, at the grassroots of our uh, of our democracy. And so I just urge everybody who listens and uh, encourage us to continue to do that work because uh, man, I don't know what the solutions are coming from the top anytime soon. Man, you, you ain't never lied. Well, thank you for joining us again. Um, if you want to support the and campaign, you can go to our website andcampaign.org and you can donate or you can donate specifically to uh, the church politics podcast by, by, by going to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash church politics. Become part of this movement. Don't just watch from the outside. And so even even if you have two dollars to give a month, we we appreciate that um, or just spread the word. Let people at your church, let people in your you, you your uh, uh, adult uh, young adult group know about the church politics podcast. A lot of are the folks who listen to us found out about us through word of mouth. We don't do a whole lot of marketing because we ain't got it like that yet. But we're trying to spread the word. We're trying to equip, equip Christians as much as we can. 
So y'all know what it is, Ann Camp. There is a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, Ann Camp. Well, I'll let you. I said, kingdom, come through me, rest in me, kingdom. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu slash podcast.